There we go. Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. Oh, thank you. That's very nice, all 10 of you. Okay, so firstly, you, you really want to come to the Cube on Friday. Um, so I know this is the 10 o'clock service. You like to sleep in a little bit. But Good Friday services are utterly amazing, and we're going to do a baptism on Good Friday. I, I don't know how we're going to tie the death of Christ to baptism, but we're going to make those things happen, and then you get food for forever. So please come Friday morning, 6 a.m. on the cube. And then uh, secondly, if you, if you want to go on the ladies' conference, which is one of the best events we do, um, you, get, you get the cheap tickets now. So if you, if you want to get the, the, the cheap tickets, don't last for too long. So 300 Rand, you can grab one of those. But I'm going to start this new series off, and in order to start it off, I need to tell you about one of my parenting strategies, which I think is directly from heaven. Um, I, I noticed that my kids were moaning a lot, and, um, and so I decided I needed to come up with a strategy to deal with their moaning. So I, I thought about it for a while, and then I went to them and I said, okay, here's the deal. We're going we're gonna to make a deal. Whenever you see me angry, you can give me a chore. Because this is good for me, because I'm, I'm a son in the kingdom, and I shouldn't need to shout at my kids. I should be able to speak to them. So, so if I'm shouting at them, they can give me a chore. It's part of the deal. And they were pumped, eh? They were just like, yes. <laughs> then I said, but if you moan, I'm going to give you a chore. And if you don't do the chore... I've got a paintbrush to help you do the chore. So this was how the conversation went down. They they were less less excited, but they knew they were going to catch me shouting at them, so so they were still quite pumped. Now, it has worked unbelievably, because what happens in the morning, I wake up and I go, I can't wait for you guys to start moaning. I am so excited for you to moan. And if you come to my house in the afternoon, what you will sometimes see, you would actually think that I have issues if you came to my house, because you'd see me get back from work, and, and someone will moan, and then what I'll do is I'll say, will you take my shoes and socks off and take them up to the room, because it's a chore. I can give you whatever chore I want to give to you, but I, I'll make it happen. It is so beautiful. It's, it's from God. <laughs> I, I had a parent come up to me and just thank me profusely again and again for the strategy. It's just, it's brilliant. If you were observing that from the outside without the context, without my wife's story, without seeing them, you would, you would honestly want to report me to social welfare. Like, you would be going, this psych has got issues. But if you observe it for a bunch of different angles, you start to go, ah, not such a bad idea. I might be doing that. It's just, it's what happens. I'll give you another example. I was, um, last week, we had an amazing leaders conference. In fact, you can get those talks. If you want to get them, speak to me, and I'll, I'll get you the talks. But uh, one of the speakers arrived a little bit late because he was coming all the way from Impengeni, and then he spoke for a little bit long which wouldn't normally be a problem at a leaders' meeting, but I had to get to Mkuzi um, to do a wedding. So anyway, he was wrapping up, and he was 25 minutes over, and, and I, I was sweating in the front. Uh, and then I jumped in my car, and um, I broke a few traffic violations getting myself to Mkuzi so that I could... I could be there before the bride got there. So anyway, I, I managed to do it, but I was thinking whilst I was, going, whilst I was driving at, at a very fast speed, I was thinking to myself, what if I got stopped? Just, I was just playing it out. The policeman comes up to me and he says, sir, you're driving 
two times the speed or whatever I was driving. And, and, then, and then I said, but I'm an umfundis and I'm going to do a wedding. I mean, he would have just laughed at me because white weddings, black weddings, different. Like, he would have, he would have just gone, no, you, you're lying. But then if I managed to convince him that it was a white wedding and we need to be on time because it's really bad if you don't, and, and then he would say, yeah, but I don't know if I believe you. Maybe you just woke up late. And, and then I would have to get other observers involved so that I could prove to him that I wasn't making something up. Now, I tell you all of this because we've started this series called The Observer. And the truth about observing is if you observe from enough different angles, you will get to the truth. The problem with today's news cycle is that it, we forget what happened yesterday so quickly. And so, so what often happens is we see an observation from one angle and then we're on to the next week. So I was looking at, at the news this week, which gave me such entertainment. There is so much entertainment in the news. Comedians must be having a field day. Uh, for example, Zuma stole 422 million rand from Gaddafi. I mean, it does not get better than that. <laughs> I was just, oh, this is brilliant. I, I was hoping it was true. But, but I know it's probably not true because Gaddafi's way too smart for that. But I, I just thought, you know, imagine that was true. But the next news cycle will come, and then it won't matter that he actually didn't steal 422 million rand from, from Gaddafi. What about this one? The Iranians are calling the United States the real leader of world terrorism. Or this one, this is true, 131 kgs of cocaine washed ashore along Romania's Black Sea coast. Tourism has never been so high along... (laughs) The second part's not true. I don't know if you saw the, the tweets between Donald Trump and Kim. Like they're staying far away from the red buttons, making us all very excited about how nice they're being to each other. We think they hate each other underneath, but they're just being so nice on social media. Uh, you just, you, you hear news and it's just, I don't know if it's fake, real. I, but the story of the scriptures and the story of Easter has been looked at and observed from every which angle, from, from every type of person over 2,000 years. It's been looked at again and again and again. And the, the answers keep coming up that this was real, that Jesus was resurrected, that the tomb was empty. It's been seen so many different times, so many different ways, investigated again and again in different generations. And so I'm going to speak today about the angle or the observation made by the Pharisees. And we're going to look at a Gentile observation. We're going to look at the observation from the disciples. We're going to look at three different observations over the next three weeks, which is a really good time to invite your friends. Sunrise service will be amazing. Good food as well. And then to Easter Sunday, next Sunday, be an amazing time to invite them to that because we're going to look at the facts. I want to tell you why it was so amazing that Pharisees came to Christ. Most people misunderstand the Pharisees. Uh, The the Pharisees were often very God-fearing. They wanted to please God. They were not just evil. They wanted to please God. And um, especially the senior Pharisees, they had a lot at stake because a lot of them were part of the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin's job was to make sure a coup didn't happen. So they brokered a deal between Rome and Israel to make sure they were going to make sure that Israel didn't rise up in a rebellion, and in return, Rome was going to make sure that they kept the temple going, which is a godly thing, but it ensured their income. 
And so the reason the Pharisees hated Jesus was the two or three reasons. The one reason was because he kept pointing out their sin and their hypocrisy. The second reason they hated him was he, as his movement grew, he was a threat to their income. He, was, he, he could basically break the temple system. And the, the third, and this was the biggest reason, people don't recognize this, this was the biggest reason that they hated Jesus because they were terrified that he was going to start an uprising and the result was that Rome was going to declare war on Israel. And that was highly likely, especially with the kind of traction that Jesus was making. Pharisees, therefore, hated Jesus. So for a Pharisee to come to Christ would have been like a Muslim imam coming to Christ. It, it was so far out there to see this, and yet we see in Acts 6, many of them coming to Christ. In John 12, it says, nevertheless, even among the rulers or the Pharisees, many believed in Jesus. The apostle Paul was probably the most famous of the Pharisees that came to Christ. In the 1700s, there was a guy, Littleton, he had a, a friend, Gilbert West, and he was, a he was in Parliament, and West was a lawyer, and they got together and they said, man, we're going to disprove this Bible thing. And so West said, I'll take on Jesus, and, and um, the other dude, Littleton, said, I'll take on Paul. Within a year, they were both Christians. Both of them wrote about it extensively, and Littleton wrote, the conversion of the Apostle Paul was of itself a demonstration sufficient to prove Christianity to be a divine revelation. But the Pharisee I want to look at today is not Paul. I want to look at Nicodemus. And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into John 3. So can we close our eyes? Lord, I ask that you anoint my words, that you channel my mind, that you speak through my spirit, and that my tongue says the words that will penetrate people's hearts. And God, I ask that you, you move over people's lives today as we minister. Amen. So I'm going to dive into John 3. It starts off like this. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you. Your miraculous signs are evidence that he is with you. He comes at night because Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin. There were 71 people on the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was, the, it was like the supreme court of Israel. He was the guy who made decisions about crime about Roman relations, about taxes, about the temple. And when problems came Israel's way, it was up to the Sanhedrin to decide how to deal with it. Imagine the conversation when Jesus was around. The guy is walking into the temple, kicking over tables, kicking people out. He's shouting at them. He's performing miracles on the wrong day. It's upsetting the Pharise other Pharisees and the Sadducees. It, he's causing mayhem. He keeps inferring that he's, he's God. It's just, he's a nightmare to manage. But Nicodemus somehow recognizes something of Jesus that is so profound that he decides, I want to meet with this guy. 
but I don't want to start a relationship with him. I want to flirt. I, I, this is a, I, I just want a spiritual flirt. Like, he's at the back row. I know who you are. Yeah, I've seen you. Yeah, I know what it's like to be at the back row. He is going, I'm at the back row. I don't want to be seen. I don't want, to, I don't want my reputation to be tarnished, but there's something going on with this guy. There's something in my heart that tells me I need something here. And so Jesus speaks to him, and he says this, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with anyone that haunts you. You ever had that? Like it just, it grabs hold of you and it haunts you. This is one of those conversations. I once had one of my friends, Mark Eslick, come up to me and he said, Ross, I love you, but I wish I'd never met you. <laughs> because since I've met you, I've lost my corporate job, sold my house in Mount Edgecombe, and now I have to move to Australia because God's calling me to. He's like the one only oak I know who got called to Australia. Like, if, if, anyway. <laughs> Nicodemus didn't know it, but he's about to have a conversation that is going to wreck his life. So so Nicodemus says, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe me if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation where you don't understand what the guy's saying, but you know it's truth. It's like maths for most people. (laughs) It's art for me. My wife keeps telling me that's beautiful, and I'm like... (laughs) Humans can reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. You know, when you first come to to church and you're around born-again believers you know that they have something that you don't have. This is what happened in my life. I knew that they could see something, that they could understand something, that they could feel something. I knew that they could enter into something that I couldn't. But I didn't want to lose my dignity, my reputation, my lifestyle, my friends. I didn't want to let that down because I figured to get what they had, I'd have to pay the cost that they'd paid. So I thought, I will just do a spiritual flirt with God. This is where Nicodemus is at. And what's fascinating is though, he's not prepared to sacrifice at the moment Jesus has this incredible conversation. The conversation he has, he just kind of bends it. He says, Nick, didn't use that word, but anyway, Nick, he goes, you can't have what you want most, which is the kingdom of God, the way you're trying to get it. Humans give birth to human effort. 
The humans can give birth to trying harder, to willpower. Humans can, can give birth to learning so that they can try and change. Humans can give birth to those things, but those things won't get you into the kingdom of heaven, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You can't get that stuff with all your effort. Nicodemus, you can keep trying to be a better person. You're still not going to get the thing you want. You've got to be born again. Now, some of you Christians think this is for the non-Christians in the room. But I want to say to you that if you're like me, you've spent most of your Christianity trying to get the kingdom of God through human effort. You've been trying to sort out your relationships, like me. I tried to sort out all my friendships so that I can be at peace. Ever notice they don't all get sorted out and you don't end at peace? Or you try and sort out your job, or you try and sort out your family, or you try and become more romantic, or you try and make your marriage work. You you try all of these things by human effort, and you never get the peace and the joy and the righteousness that you're so longing for. You've got to be born again. Again. You've got to be filled again. You, You won't get these things by human effort. You need the Holy Spirit to come into your life. This is what Jesus is saying. You need to be born again. I was thinking about why Jesus used the term born again. Because I've had two children and I've seen that process and Jesus, I praise you that I was born a man. I just, thank you, Lord. You know know what I realized? I, I realized it's always a, scary being a guy speaking about birth, but I realized that if men could fall pregnant, the human race would be extinct. (laughs) It's just uh, not a chance. But Jesus used this word born. You think about birth, there's a process of birth. The word semen is from the Latin word seed. I'm talking about birth, I'm just like going to Put my hands in my pockets. It's from, it's from the Latin word seed. And what happens is the seed gets planted into an egg. And when the genetic material from the seed touches the genetic material in the egg, a cell's birthed, and that cell straight away starts to divide and multiply. And then those cells go up to the uterus wall, and they, they form an embryo, and they multiply and divide. They, they keep dividing, and, and in that way, they multiply and multiply and multiply, and that's called growth. And as the mom is hosting this baby, she gets first trimester, vomits all the time, second trimester, thinks it's going to be okay, third trimester, it's like hell, just get out of me. That's, that's kind of the process. And she gets to the third trimester, and she starts to get uncomfortable because this thing's growing and growing. And it's grown beyond the space that's available. It starts to get so discomfortable that one day that baby unwittingly releases a bunch of hormones into the mother's bloodstream, and straight away she goes into labor. It's a process. Induces birth. In the kingdom of God, you see, Jesus often uses the natural to explain the supernatural. 
the seed of the word of God is put through preaching of the word, it goes into our hearts, but it will not impregnate our spirits until it's mixed with faith. When it's mixed with faith, it impregnates our spirits and it begins to grow. And as we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, what begins to happen is this seed of the word of God begins to grow inside of us. And as it grows inside of us, it eventually gets to a place where we are born again. You see, some of you thought that you invited your mate. He didn't put up his hand at the end, so there's no point in inviting him again. That's, that's naive. You've got to understand there's a process to being born again. You hear the word, it starts to grow as it's mixed with faith. And maybe the first time it's not mixed with faith, maybe the second time, maybe the third time, maybe the fifth time, maybe the tenth time. I knew a guy who sat in church for seven years before it got into his heart and and started to produce faith. You keep sowing the word, and if you keep doing that, somewhere down the line, it will impregnate his heart. The only way that you can be born again is if the gospel gets into your heart. So Jesus preaches the gospel. He says to Nicodemus, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him. Notice how many times he says everyone that believes in him. First, everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Then everyone who, who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And then it says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Understand how Jesus deals with Nicodemus. He He tells him, firstly, you're not going to enter into the kingdom. You're not going to understand the kingdom. You're not going to see the kingdom unless you're born again. And then he goes, and the only way you can be born again is by believing in the Son, me. The only way you're going to be saved, the only way you're going to be changed is by believing the Son. And he's going, this seed will change your life. Now, what I love about Nicodemus is that it doesn't change his life that night. In fact, it takes till John 7 before it's even started to grow. This is so, so important because I meet Christians the whole time who pray a prayer, ask God into their life. They they expect something to change, but you've got to know it takes nine months to give birth physically. It sometimes takes years to give birth spiritually to a place where you can see something. So Nicodemus, by John 7, is not born again on fire preaching about God. He's a secret Christian. Some of you, you're secret Christians. If I went and asked all your digs mates and work colleagues if you're a Christian, they'd go, hell no. (laughs) The seed, it it hasn't grown. Some of you are giving up on your faith because the seed hasn't grown yet. John 7, everyone in Jerusalem is talking about Jesus. The temple, the, the Pharisees send out the temple guards to arrest him. And it says, when the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? 
And they say, we've never heard anyone speak like this, the gods responded. And, and so the Pharisees say, have you been led astray too? Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believe in him? The foolish crowd follows him, but they're ignorant of the law. God's curses on them. Then Nicodemus, secret Christian, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up and he said, is it legal to convict a man before he is given a, a hearing, he asked and they say, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet has, has ever come from Galilee. I have seen in the Christian faith many people receive the gospel and it begins to grow in their hearts. But it doesn't give new birth yet and they give up. We call that miscarriage. You see, the scripture says the word of God is sown. Some lands on hard soil and the birds eat it up. Miscarriage. In fact, that's not a miscarriage, that just mist. Some lands in the soil, it sprouts out, but because it doesn't have roots, it dies in the sun. Miscarriage. Some it goes down and grows up, and it looks so good, but the, the cares of the world and the, the trickery of riches strangle it out, and it dies. Now, I have lived with a lot of the gospel being strangled out in my life. I have, I, I, I got, God spoke to me about praying for people to be healed and then being healed. And, and so I started praying for people to get healed, and actually lots of people got healed. And then I was praying for, for a bunch of people and, and they didn't get healed and that person didn't get healed and then we tried to lift a person out of a wheelchair and they didn't get healed and then people were getting hurt because I thought God did. And I went through this process where the cares of this world, all the people I cared about, began to strangle out the word of God that had been impregnated into my heart. And I went, I'm going to leave that one for a while. So, there are so many Christians in here. You, you got a promise from God. You got a something from God. But the cares of life, the, the bruising of Satan. Satan will go after any promise that you get in your life. You get a call to something, Satan will go after it and he will try to bruise you. He will hit you in the same place again and again and again. And some of you are living in hope deferred and so this, this thing that God has put inside of you, this gospel promise, is not growing to fruition because you've been hurt so bad. Let me, t let me tell you how this works. I've had about five accidents in about four years. It's ridiculous. People drive into me for fun. <laughs> uh, I, I'm starting to, to get worried about my driving, but, uh, but honestly, it's, it's, I've been T-boned, I've been driven into from the back at a robot. I mean, come on. It's just like it happens. I think there's some spiritual stuff going on there too, but I have been nailed. Anyway... On the 9th of March, I got T-boned. And so I went to the panel beater to see my car. And uh, the panel beater says to me, your chassis is bent, it's a write-off. And in that moment, I felt deep loss. And uh, I, was, I was coming back to teach Bible school. And I couldn't understand loss because it's a car. And God's given me so many cars. A cars I have faith for. 
I, I get excited when my Hilux gets stolen. I start thanking God because I know when it's coming back or I'm getting another one. It doesn't bother me. But this thing hurt. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, this is how Satan bruises believers. He, through loss, hope deferred, through through them expecting God to come through now, but there's a process and the seed's growing, they start to give up and the result is miscarriage. And some of you, God gave you a word and it's died. But the thing about God is that you need to be born again, again. See, the Spirit, of, the spirit can breathe onto something that is dead and give it resurrection life. The Spirit of God, it makes things come alive, but you're not going to get this right by human effort. And some of you have been trying to get it right by human effort, and God wants to say to you today, you won't get it by human effort, but the Spirit of God will make it come alive. You need to be born again. Again. Nicodemus. We get to John 19. And this is when I know he's been born again. It says, after the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, another guy, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. You've got to understand, in that moment, he put himself in Jesus' camp and risked losing everything. You don't do that unless the seed of the word of God has burst through. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away with him. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought 75 pounds of perfumed ointment. You don't give in huge amounts like this unless the Spirit of God has done something inside of you. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and the long sheet of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb, never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Guys, there are some of us who God has put something in our hearts, but it's taken so long that we think it's never going to break out. And this is what you've got to know. You keep your eyes on Jesus, Jesus, the author and completer of your faith, the author and finisher of your faith, and he will make this thing grow. Some of us, we've, we've Something started to grow, but it's almost like it's in a bonsai. Its roots get trimmed because we don't feed it because we're trying to fill our hearts some other way. And I declare to you today that God wants to break that stuff off, breathe resurrection life into your heart and change you. You've got to be born again. What I want to do, we've got our worship guys. Can you come up? I'm, I'm just going to use the rest of the service to do ministry. Some of you can feel the Holy Spirit. Some of you, you know those dreams that you've given up on. You know those things that you've longed for. And you need to be born again again. And some of you need to be born again for the first time. And so as the Holy Spirit ministers to you, if you want to ask Jesus to breathe onto something dead in your life, won't you stand up? I want to pray for you.
Well done, well done. Well done, well done. Well done, well done. Those around, just stretch out a hand. You will receive this only by faith. You've actually got to give up on making it happen. You're going to go, I can't, but Jesus, you can. So I want you to pray this. Holy Spirit, give me new life. I bring all my pain, my bruising, my hurt. I bring everything that has choked this out that has robbed me. I bring it all to the foot of the cross and I say, God, please take it away, Lord, set me free. And where I've stopped believing you, because I couldn't see birth, I choose to believe in you again. God, make this thing come out. Lord, break through me. And Father, I pray for some people that your spirit comes on them right now like you did on Mary and you literally impregnate them by your spirit of God. Come upon people. Just set them free in Jesus' name. I keep wanting to weep because of dreams that people have had that, that they've given up on. And I feel like the spirit weeps. Because Satan told you you weren't good enough, that you were going to have this habit for the rest of your life. The seed, it's growing. It's growing. It's going to break out. It's going to break out. You're going to see it. Of he- Bodies, Lord, just bring healing. Lord Jesus, I believe in you for miracles across here. Heavenly Father, please just begin to touch people. Now what we're going to do is we're all going to stand and and Zimmer's going to sing. If you want to sing with her, you can sing with her. But we're going to sing with all our faith over people standing up here that they'll be touched in their bodies and their hearts and their minds that the gospel that we believe will break out.